God, it is good to come from the busyness of our lives and the noisiness of our world, to be reminded of the goodness of your love and your presence in our lives. We thank you for all of your blessings, for our kids and our families, for the ways that you continue to provide the resources that we need to have places to live and transportation to get around, for the food that we eat as well as the things that we do to entertain ourselves and to provide hospitality for one another, this church that we can come to to worship in on Sunday morning and to serve one another during the week. God, we recognize there are so many things that we have to be grateful for and that our praises and our thanksgivings and the offerings that we give are simply meager ways that we can say thank you and acknowledge that all that we have and all that we are comes from you as a gift. And so, We just ask that you would receive these gifts in worship today as our way of saying thank you and as our way of saying we desire to be more and more your children and to desire to follow Jesus and to be your disciples on mission with him in this place. So bless these gifts and multiply them for your glory and not for our own. Speak to us through your word this morning. Teach us how we can be more than we are today. And we can continue to grow to become all that you have called us to be through the mighty name of Jesus who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to welcome you if you are joining us midstream through our Summer of Wonder here at Faith Covenant Church. We're in our second round series that we're calling Rooted in Wonder, where we're taking a look at how cultivating experiences of awe and wonder through getting out into the world and into nature can be a way that we can be actively discipling our own kids as parents or our own grandkids, and really is an opportunity for kids of all ages. Uh, to rediscover the value and the importance of wonder and amazement in our spiritual lives and in our relationship with God and and how it's an essential part of our faith as, as people who are really part of the creation that God has made. To remind us that we are not gods ourselves, but we are created and designed by God to be a part of the creation that speaks of His glory and experiences worship as a part of who he has created us to be. Part of the challenge that we've recognized this summer is that as we grow older and we become adults, we tend to lose a sense of that childlike wonder in our lives that we once had. We we begin to trade in our capacity uh, for imagination and wonder for a more grown-up seriousness and a a rationality that, uh, um, you know, is more about being able to solve the problems of life and to to handle adult-type problems, right? Rather than explore and experience the mystery of life and the world that God has given us to love and to enjoy and to explore. Yet the Bible tells us that the more we explore God's wonder of his world and the wonder of this life that he's given us and the wonder of this relationship that he's called us into is that God is an eternal mystery that we will never reach the end of. 
God is, is, a, is a being that we will never fully comprehend. And yet the Bible also tells us that nature itself, if we have eyes to see through the eyes of faith, shows us that the reality of a creative, eternal, sovereign, and powerful God is a real abiding person that we can come to know and have a relationship with. And what we learn from the Bible is that God designed this world that we live in in such a way that it could could help bring us to that kind of a knowledge of the God who made it. And it can bring a greater meaning and an understanding of this word, this special revelation that he's given us through the Bible and through the scriptures, which point us to the meaning and the purpose of this son named Jesus that he sent to save us from our sins and to, to bring us out of the brokenness of this fallen creation and to show us the intention and the purpose that he had from before the beginning of the creation that he wanted to love us and he wanted us to not experience the pain and and the brokenness that we all know that this world means for us. And that he promises us one day, if we put our trust and our faith in him, he will bring us through and he will show us what he meant this to be from the beginning. And so in combination with God's word that he's revealed in the Bible and through his son Jesus, we can use the lens of God's word that he's revealed in creation to instill within our children as they're growing up in this world a more robust and a more resilient faith as they grow that's rooted in the very evidence and the beauty of the world that they live in uh, through God's natural revelation because we can compare it and contrast it and, and, and build it, connecting the dots to the word that he has revealed and show them how the two were designed to go hand in hand. And that's partially why I think that in Matthew 18, in response to Jesus' disciples asking him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) Right? You remember the story? It says that Jesus takes a little child and he puts the child among the disciples and he points their attention to this little child. And in verse 3 of chapter 18, it says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In her book, Rooted in Wonder, Erin Linham asks the question, why does the kingdom of God belong to children? And she goes on to suggest that perhaps it's because their faith rests not on naivete, but on wonder. They can still see the evidence of God in creation. They can stand beneath a rainbow or before a waterfall or beside a bird's nest, and they can intuitively know that God is real. If we as adults, however, forfeit our curiosity, she says, we lose a critical element of faith. We stop looking for and eventually stop seeing the evidence of God that is all around us. 
And so in many ways, as we've been learning through the summer of wonder here at our church, reconnecting with God in nature and rediscovering a sense of wonder in our own lives and helping to foster that wonder and that imagination and that curiosity in our kids and in the kids who go to Faith Covenant Church as a part of our our own spiritual family helps to foster in us the very humility that we need even as adults to rekindle in us that wonder and that amazement we need to rekindle our relationship with God in fresh new ways, no matter how old we get. Another way to say it, again, that Linham expresses in her book is that nature helps us to remember our place in this world. Today, I want to suggest another aspect of how wonder can help us to not only remember our place in this world, but also to find our place in this world, which I also want to suggest is becoming increasingly challenging for kids growing up in the world today. Last week in our short kids message, Pastor Dean did a great job, didn't he, of talking about the difference between seeds and plants right? And how little seeds have in these tiny little protective shells all the potential for life to grow and to emerge and and, and to to produce leaves and and flowers and fruit and, and ultimately more seeds. I remember back in grade school, I I don't know what kind of maybe horticultural experiments you guys got to do in grade school, but I remember, I think it was even in sixth grade, we took little uh, lunch milk cartons, you know, the little tiny milk cartons, and we cut the top off, and we put some soil in the milk carton, and we took a little seed, and we put it down in the soil, and everybody put their milk carton up in the windows of the classroom, and then we watered them, and then we waited... And then we watered them, and then we waited, and we watered, and we waited. But eventually, right, this little plant came up out of the soil. And we got to see the plant grow, and we got to experience bringing new life. Did you get to do that as a kid, right? Or how many of you got to to have a pet? I remember the first... my mom and dad get to be with us today. Bill and Sandra Nothelfer, right? Got to give me my first pet. We went all the way to Southern California. We were living in Central Valley, California, Modesto. We drove to Southern California where my grandparents were. Parents were. First pet was a dog, cockapoo named Daisy, right? We went and picked her up as a puppy. We brought her home. We got to take care of her and feed her and care for her. But I remember the first pet that I ever had that was my own pet. It was a boa constrictor snake. (laughs) Right? We had some friends that we visited in Minnesota, and I think they had a bunch of snakes. I think that's where I got the idea, convinced my parents that this was going to be a great idea, right? My grandfather, you know, Papa, was a wonderful woodworker. He had a woodworking shop. He custom-built me this snake cage crate that had, you know, this wonderful opening top and a glass front. And we we learned all about how to keep these, you know, uh, cold-blooded reptiles warm. So I had an electric heating rock in the cage and and, and a water dish. And and my sister would invite her friends over and they would all grab pillows and they'd line up in front of the cage and hide behind the pillows. And we would have this showing of watching the snake eat. 
right? The live mouse would go into the cage and the hunt was on and the snake would come and it'd eat the, and the girls would scream, right? And it was all fun and games until one day, right, mom, the snake got pneumonia. And we had this like mucus and it had hard breathing. We had to get scissors and pry the snake's mouth open and like clean out all this goop. And well, I say we, but really mom had to do all that. Right? We took it to the vet and had to give the snake shots. Now, you'd never think a snake could be like cuddly and loving, but I kid you not, right, mom? At the vet, the snake is on the table. The vet gives the snake a shot, and that snake shot up onto my shoulders and wrapped itself around my neck, like, oh, save me. <laughs> I love that snake. Rosie, right? Well, we ended up moving to Chicago and decided, you know, the snake couldn't make the move and we sold it. But I loved Rosie and I learned about caring for a living creature and, and also my, the limits of my own capacity as a kid and what I could do and what I couldn't do. Lenham says, as our children participate in caring for living things, they're connecting with a deeper eternal purpose that God has designed within us. They're carrying out a God-given initiative that they learn not only about keeping things alive, but also about patience, respect, generosity, selflessness, and about the pursuit of true beauty. The reality is, whether we're 8 years old, or 18 years old, or 38 years old, or 88 years old, when we nurture and grow and protect life and creation, we enter into and participate in God's work. Because God is the God of creation and life. And when we can help our children begin to connect with experiences of tending for life, whether it's a snake or a dog or a goldfish or a plant in the garden or, or in a milk carton in the window, we're giving them early glimpses and experiences of what it means to have a deeper sense of a God-given life purpose that is designed for them by God when he imagined them before he even created them. And the Bible tells us that, in fact, in the first garden, when God placed this work ethic, or can we even say this stewardship ethic, into the human heart. Work was not a symptom of the fall, but it was a gift. It was given before sin even entered into the human story. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. See, it came before the command to not eat was even given. God created humankind with a plan and a purpose in mind, with a partnership to tend and care for the garden of creation. The work that God had designed for Adam to fulfill for the purpose of why he wanted partnership and relationship was part of how God had created and wired him to begin with and, and to experience the fulfillment and the purpose of life. And so it was only later, as a result of Adam and Eve not trusting in the word that God had said and going ahead and eating the forbidden fruit, that work became toilsome 
If you go on to chapter 3 of Genesis, beginning in the second half of verse 17, that's when it says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, as for dust you were, and to dust you will return. You see, it wasn't God's plan that that life would be so difficult and toilsome and onerous and painful and, and depressing. That wasn't God's desire for us. That's our fault. And, and, and that's not his plan or desire for you today. That's not God's plan or desire for your kids. And yet, that's still the choice that we continue to make. Even though God has given us his word and God has sent his son and God said there's a different way, there's a better path, there's a different way to be human in this world and on this, on this planet, but, and you can do it by following this path that Jesus has shown us, and yet we still continue to think that we can do it our own way. That somehow if we just work harder or or try more or or, or somehow follow the way of the world that we're going to somehow get a different result. The reality is we, we don't need to be bound by the curse of Adam anymore. We talked about this last week because of the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus has already overcome the power of sin and evil and death. God's promise of the new creation has already begun. That someday that God has promised that we know will take until the end of history to to be ultimately fulfilled has already begun when Jesus came out of that tomb on Easter Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 begins, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And I love how Professor N.T. Wright says, If God is the good creator, and if he will at last put everything right, then resurrection is going to be the result. And of course, it doesn't end there. It only makes sense if, having been launched, the new creation is then put to work in the world. That is the primary task of the Holy Spirit, to put into practice that which was achieved and launched on Good Friday and Easter. He says two things are important here. First, the Messiah is already reigning as in Matthew 8, where Jesus already possesses all authority in heaven on earth. Amen? And second, once we realize and celebrate the fact that Jesus is already reigning, we can start to learn in prayer and worship, he says, to celebrate his victory in new ways and to invoke in praise and prayer, bringing genuine signs of new life, of new creation to birth in the present world. Let me say that one more time, because you don't hear this very often. 
to celebrate his victory in new ways and to evoke in praise and prayer, bringing genuine signs of new life, of new creation to birth in the present world. The new creation has begun. We can be participants in bringing signs of that new life today. We know that we have to wait for the consummation at the end of history, but we can be participants in bringing signs of it and helping other people to begin to taste and see that God is good today. So as we begin to help our children participate in caring for God's creation, even though it is still a fallen and a broken version of that creation, and in cultivating the life of living things, we're helping them to connect with a sense of their own eternal purpose that God has hardwired into them by the very uh, way that he has designed them. And so as Linham says, when we grow, nurture, and protect life and creation, we enter into and participate in God's work, and we develop a deeper sense of life purpose that is fueled and motivated by a childlike curiosity and rooted in wonder. Dad, can you hand me my water? I'm getting a little parched up here. Thank you. Now, While I hope the applications of this are becoming obvious for the importance of how we parent our kids, maybe how we even teach our kids here at church, I also want to transition to suggest for us today that this wonder of creation and how it begins to inform our role as Christians in how we live life in this world can also help us to better understand our calling as the church. As parents, we can teach our kids to be, as Erin Linham talks about in her book, to become wonder conservationists. (laughs) And we can seek to preserve the beauty and the wonder of God's creation in ways that point us back to the creator of all things. But the Bible also talks about the role of stewardship of the manifold gifts of God that he's given us through Jesus Christ. Discipleship to Jesus is a whole life stewardship. And in the church, that's what discipleship to Jesus is really all about. As spiritual parents, the Apostle Paul talks about his relationship to his protege, Timothy, being an example of how those who are more mature in their relationship to Christ should take the initiative to invest time and energy of those who are further back on the pathway to help others to discover and grow in their own calling of their relationship in Jesus in their discipleship to Christ, which is about helping them to discover their own sense of of calling and purpose, how God has shaped and wired them and wants to use them for kingdom purposes in their life, which means that they're discovering how they are a part of God's design creation as well. And so our own discipleship processes in the church can't just be a program of how we build a bigger and better church organization. It has to be about how we understand people see themselves as a part of God's creation and discover their own growing, developing, thriving life in the world as a part of who God has created them to be. And those are two very different prospects. Ideally, it'd be great if they could be two, one and the same, but too often they become very two different pathways. 
We'd love for, for all of us to begin to understand that our very life purpose is discovering God's work for our life. That it's a part of our very design and our wiring of how God has created and shaped us to be a part of his calling and his purpose in Christ as a part of the new creation that is coming. So that who we are today is who we are going to be in eternity. And that what we're growing and becoming today is who we are going to continue to grow and become in eternity. Because as we said last week, the goal of God is not that someday you're going to retire and go sit on a cloud and eat grapes for the rest of eternity. That's going to get old really fast. I promise you. See, if work was a part of God's original design... Work is not something that you retire from. Work is something that you want to have a curiosity about and a passion about that you get to do for the rest of eternity. God wants to give you a purpose that that is a part of his kingdom, that in eternity, in the new heaven, in the new earth, is something that you can apply yourself to that becomes a blessing to those around you, that becomes a part of something that's a, a creative project that you get to contribute to as a part of the body of Christ that will live on forever. But we don't ever talk about that either, do we? We just want to get to the finish line. And we want to put it down. And we want to be done so that we can just finally rest. And the Bible says there is a rest for the people of God. It's a Sabbath rest. And God says if you enter in his kingdom and you do it his way, then yes, there is a rest. But it's not a rest like you're done and it's over. It's a rest where you catch your breath and you get renewed and you pick yourself back up and then you keep going. (laughs) That's the kind of rest that, that God promises. We also begin to recognize in Christ that part of the new creation, this restored creation which, which is to come, which is even now beginning to manifest itself in us, means that we as a church have to reevaluate perhaps what does it really mean that we are called to be the body of Christ in the world? What does that really mean? It's a great phrase. Is it true? And how do we know if we're living up to that calling? It's not to say that the church is the kingdom of God in the world. But that the church, if, if, if she's living into and she's living up to her calling that we see in the Bible, can participate in reflecting the, the real presence and the real power of the kingdom of God that is manifest through the risen Lord and the risen Christ that even now is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God, who all authority and all power has been put under his feet, that is a present reality, that it, that it is even now happening in the midst of this present darkness. But part of the challenge that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around is someone who continues to wrestle with and struggle with this present darkness even within myself is that we may have lost sight of how to live into that calling in ways that make sense in our culture and in our day, in ways that that truly allow us to be experiencing that new life and that new creation in our own lives. 
And perhaps for all of us at any age and at every stage of life, a time of rediscovering a deeper sense of our responsibility for becoming wonder conservationists and stewards of life and stewards of creation Maybe a way of rediscovering a deeper connection of our calling and our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ because we know if we read the scripture, isn't the crowning achievement of God's creation other human beings? How are we stewarding our relationships with the human beings that God has given us? In your life, here at Faith Covenant Church, in our community, in our country, around the world. I mean, if we really did a, an audit, <laughs> how well do you think we're doing as a, as a society, as a planet? If we really did an audit of human history, how well do you think we could grade ourselves? I love Oz Guinness, who's a Christian author, uh, you know, uh, speaker, um, thinker. He says, as Christ followers, we have become entrepreneurs of life. Isn't that a great phrase? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to be an entrepreneur of life? I don't know what that job description looks like, but I'd love to figure that out. Wouldn't it be cool if you say, hey, come to Faith Covenant Church and we're going to train you how to become an entrepreneur of life. <laughs> Again, N.T. Wright says, the church in its unity and holiness is called to be the sign to the watching world that Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't. Caesar, of course, comes in many forms, in the gods that are worshipped today and always, the gods of money and power and sex, of self-centered and self-fulfillment and self-realization. The body of Christ as a whole, with every Christian called to play his or her part and to face their own personal battles and struggles as they do, is to show the world and its rulers that there's a different way to be human. The way of the Sermon on the Mount, the way of following Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we're missing it. And that's not your fault. If anybody's fault, it's my fault. It's our pastor's fault. It's our leader's fault. It's the church's fault. It's, we're off track. We, we, we've gone astray. I don't, I don't know where we missed the mark. I don't know how we got off the path, but, but something is amiss in our world and in the American church. And, and, and we know it, and pastors talk about it, and if you have private conversations with people over coffee, we all, we all kind of know it, and nobody knows what to do about it. But I think the first step is to admit that you have a problem. <laughs> and then we just got to get on our knees and pray and rediscover the wonder of the God who made us and trust that he knows the answer, that he'll reveal the path, and that he's given us the answers in his word and in his world. And if we just start to connect the dots again, we'll find our way. 
It's not something we have to manufacture or create in our own wisdom, our own strength. In fact, that's everything that God's word tells us is that's not how you do it. And just to wrap it up, because I know I've gone a little long today, but we're having fun, right? (laughs) Bottom line is this. We need each other in this. None of us can do it alone. Parents, your kids need you in this. They need you to to have good conversations. They need you to to read them scripture. They need you to get them out into nature and connect the dots between the two. Parents and grandparents need friends to encourage them and support them in that conversation with their kids. They need mentors to to guide them and to help them to know that that they don't have to be experts and they don't have to be Bible scholars, that that it's just simply something that, that they can do. We need to connect with each other, whether you you have kids or you don't have kids. We all need spiritual mentors and friends to encourage us in this process. And we need to engage one another in our spiritual journeys as fellow travelers in Christ. And we need to be sure, whatever we do, that we don't let church become the obstacle. The church has to become the pathway. Final quote from Linham, she says, God has a vital role for nature in our lives. He created it in such a way to draw us to himself. It is essential for our children's understanding and worldview to reconnect the dots between creator and created. And perhaps one of the things then I think that we can say or that we can take away from our time in the summer of wonder here at Faith Covenant Church is that the word of God, which we can learn more and more here at church, will come more alive when we engage together as the church with God's world out there. In doing so, perhaps passages like Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, which we'll close with for today, may come alive for us in new and fresh and maybe even some surprising ways. Verse 16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen?